Can we just thank the musicians? How amazing has our worship been so far? You know, they're not the worship team. We are the worship team. But they've done an exceptional job so far in a day and a morning of facilitating us worshiping. I love the hunger in our midst for more of the presence of God. God wants to mark us over this time that we're together, not by great preaching, but by his presence. That when we go back to our churches this weekend or next week, we go back to our workplaces and our schools, that people go, there's something different about these people. So Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here, as Darren prayed and said. But we ask, would you mark us? Would you change us? Would you enlarge us? Would you challenge us today? We want to be transformed by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to Matthew 28? Before uh, I get into the preach, I just felt as we were worshiping that there's somebody in the room this, this morning, and uh, the thought that you're having during worship was, this is a bit much or this is disorderly. That 1 Corinthians 14 kept coming to your mind. What about orderly worship? And that's okay. But I want to encourage you with this. That when Paul writes to the Corinthians about orderly worship, their worship was so disorderly that he actually had to write. It was like people were prophesying over each other. There was confusion in their midst. It wasn't focused just on the one thing of Jesus, like this person was speaking, that person was speaking, and he was saying, when I'm, when I'm with you, I don't even know what's going on. And I wanted to encourage you that if you actually want to see a greater release of the presence of God in our gatherings and in our togetherness, we have to get comfortable with a little bit more than what we've seen before. I absolutely loved last night and what God did. Because when we ask God's presence to come, and when the Holy Spirit comes, the demonic has to leave. But if we're scared of, de- uh, of, of, of people manifesting something of the demonic in our gatherings, then we're never going to make room for the more of the Holy Spirit to come. We don't have to be scared about deliverance and about people being set free and liberty coming because as the Holy Spirit comes, darkness has to go. So I just want to encourage you with that this morning before I jump into uh, what I feel like God's placed in my heart to share with us today, and I'm going to start my timer. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. This should always be our response to seeing Jesus, so when we see him, we worship him. And it says this, but some doubted. That's okay. In our gatherings, in our times, when we see Jesus and our responses to worship, there's going to be some who doubt. It says in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our call, this is our commission, this is our command to be disciples who go make disciples. We we, we exist 
As Paul said, to, we're the only organization that exists for those outside of us. We exist to engage our community. To see them encounter the love and presence of Jesus. To establish biblical foundations. To equip believers to minister, to make disciples, not just leaders. We don't exist just to make leaders. We need to invest in leadership. But the focus is not leadership. The focus is a priesthood of all believers. To make believers who are equipped and empowered to minister. And then to empower and release disciple makers. There's nothing more frustrating than learning something and learning something and learning something and learning something and never being able to do it. I have the privilege of, of, of coaching my son's uh, soccer team. And as much as they put their, all their effort into training, if all we ever did was train, they would stop putting effort into training. And I just feel prophetically this morning that for some of us, if we actually want to see our churches uh, uh, step into and be energized and run with what God has, we have to stop just training and start actually releasing. We have to stop people just expecting to show up on a Sunday and listen to me preach and actually give them opportunity. And it might, doesn't have to be from a front, but in the, you know, in, on the streets, in our discipleship groups, in our gatherings to make room for the priesthood to minister. If you can't clearly communicate how you are making disciples as a follower of Jesus and or as a church, can I suggest that you're probably not making disciples? The church Jesus is building is a church of disciplers. That's what we're called to. When we quote Matthew 28, and I'm sure we quote it a lot, we almost always start with verse 18 and 19. We start with either the go make disciples of all nations or verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. But if we start at verse 18 and verse 19, we miss a really key point in verse 16. Verse 16 says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. The key is this. Jesus gave the great commission the commandment to go and make disciples, he gave that to disciples. Okay, what, what are you talking about? The point is this. To make disciples, I have to be a disciple. To make disciples, you have to be a disciple. The church that Jesus is building isn't a church of just disciplers. It's a church of disciples. The starting point in our hearts has to be, Jesus, I want to become more like you. Jesus, I want to be discipled so that I can go make disciples. It also says that they saw Jesus and they worshipped him. The commission to make disciples was given to disciples, and it comes from the place of encounter. It doesn't come from the place of being forced to go make disciples by somebody on a stage. It comes from the place of seeing the risen king and encountering his presence. From that place of seeing him, he says, now go. It comes from the place of seeing Jesus and worshiping him. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've just been doing 
the stuff. If you've just been doing the church thing, you've been faithful, and, I, and, and thank you for your faithfulness. But if you've just been faithfully going, I'm going to preach your word on Sunday. I'm going to lead my, my discipleship group or my home group during the week. I'm just going to do the things. But you haven't seen Jesus. You've actually stopped being in that place of encounter. Then you're here this week for that very thing. If you hear nothing else, when we worship, get on your face before him and see him. We want to be disciple makers, yeah? Do you want to be a disciple maker? Yes, this can be interactive this morning. Do you want to be a disciple maker? But what did Dave say last night? Are you, do you holler back? Holler back? I was like, huh? Holla? As we seek to be disciple makers, we have to remember that the work of making disciples is part of God's larger work of redemption. It's actually his plan. It's not just a great, you know, a good church growth strategy. It's God's plan. Making disciples, being disciplers is not the mission of a few disciple makers. It's not the, the, the sixth gift, you know, Ephesians gift. The uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, te- teachers, and disciple makers. It's given for every one of us. We all have to walk in it. It's the calling of every person who calls Jesus Lord. And it's something that we should be striving to grow in. And if this is the first time you've heard this, I'm sorry, but this is going to change your life. Because actually, this is where the fun is. This is where the adventure is. This is where the, you know, when we get this, we begin to live on mission. When we get this, we begin to see, uh, see people transform. When we get this, actually out of this flows all this other stuff. Out of this flows, uh, you know, people need to be healed and set free. And we need to deal with, you know, the, the, the bondages in their life. And we get, get to, we get to teach them. And we get to ex- be an example for them. And we get to release them and journey with them and all the fun. You know all the questions where people are like, oh, I'm a bit bored of church. You just do the same thing all the time. You know how to deal with that? Be a disciple who makes disciples. Elliot and I have had the privilege of leading the team at Melbourne Lights Church for 15 years. Um, it's, yeah, we are that old now. So we, uh, we, we, I don't know if it was wisdom or, or um, insanity, but um, my parents actually handed the, the team over to us when we were 26. So all of you young people in the room, no excuse. Who in the room here is uh, 26 or under? There we go. Who in the room is 30 or under? There should be as many, if not more, hands than we're just up. Who's 30 or under? There we go. Okay. That by no means excludes those who are older. I'm just saying there's no excuse. You don't have to wait till you're 45. There's many challenges to leading a team that leads a church at a young age. I'll just let you in on the secret for those of you who are younger who God's about to call to lead a church. There's some challenges there. There's some challenges that, to be honest, force me to grow and mature. Because some of them you don't know until you're facing them. 
For example, I've been told very often since we started leading that I don't know everything, and that's still true. <laughs> I think I, I, I know that I know less now than I did then. But there is a reality that when you're leading a team when you're younger, people tell you that you don't know everything. When you get older, people will just think, he doesn't know everything. I think it's something that comes with leading a, a team at a young age, which is why Paul writes to Timothy and told him, don't let people look down on your youth. Why would he write that if people didn't look down on his youth? People are well-meaning. I think people have good hearts. But more often in the early days than now, they would say things like, you're young, so you don't have experience. That's true. That's obvious. Thank you for stating the obvious. Uh, you haven't seen enough to really know. I agree with you. You can't teach on raising kids. You don't even have kids yet. Mmm. Someone who was in the church once told me when a young pastor fell in sin, see, this is why we shouldn't have young pastors. And I was like, you're in the church that we're leading. They weren't in the church for very long after that. <laughs> And while those comments, uh, at the time, they seemed harsh, and, and you might think, oh, that, that's a bit harsh. For me, it made me realize very quickly that if I was going to do what God called me to do, because it wasn't a matter of do I know everything or do I have the experience, God called us to do that thing. And if I was going to do that, I needed to surround myself, and we needed to surround ourselves as a couple with people who are at different stages of life than we were who were more mature than we were, who knew the word better than we did, who were able to journey with us. And God was so gracious to place those people around us. Otherwise, we wouldn't be standing here today. I don't even know if we'd still be in, in like leading the church team ministry. We'd still be in ministry because you can't ever not be in ministry once you follow Jesus, just so you know. And I needed to not just surround myself with those people, but I actually needed to seek their advice and their input, and to listen to what they said. And this is not just a word for young people today. Because at different stages of life, we can begin to think, I know it all. I've seen that before. This is how I dealt with it last time. And while we go to God first, and we have to hear his voice, we need to surround ourselves with people who can give us wise input. We need to be disciples if we're going to make disciples. I had this distinct personal revelation at that point in my life, and I continue to have, and I thank God I had it early, that every generation has a part to play, and we need every generation to play their part. If we're going to have the impact that God's called us to as churches and as believers, then every generation has a part to play in your church, and we need every generation to play their part. But also every generation has a part to play in your life, and we need them to play their part. It made me say, I need to know what the Bible says, not just what I think is good, not just what culture says, and not just what somebody says the Bible says. I don't need to have lived it to preach it. And let me encourage you. You don't need to have lived it to preach it. 
You don't have to have lived it for it to be truth. Because when we preach the Bible, the Bible is the truth. It's not your lived truth or your version of truth. It's God's truth. We need to know the truth. Because the Bible says it's the truth, God's truth, that will set you free. If we're going to bring people into liberty, it's not my truth that's going to bring them into liberty. It's the truth that will set the captives free. It made me realize that I always need to continue to be a disciple and to seek out discipleship in my life. To be intentional about learning, to be intentional about growing, having people speak into my life so that I can do the same thing for others. Because so often, and, I, and, and I'm guilty of this as a leader, when we hear something about discipleship, I think about all the people that I'm going to disciple. When I hear about seeking input, I think about all the people who should come and ask me for input. None of you guys ever think like that? Can we, we got to be honest and vulnerable. Can I just be honest with you? The elders on the team that I get to lead... Others who have gone before them, they can testify to this because we've invited their input into our lives. Actually, I love our team. We, we couldn't do this without a team because it's not, Elodie and I do not lead Melbourne Lights Church. We lead the team that leads Melbourne Lights Church. And we lead as a team. And we appreciate and we love our team. And can I just, for, for one second, because I know that not everybody in the room is elders or leaders, but can I speak to the elders in the, in the room for a minute? Um, especially maybe those who are leading teams. Can I encourage you to be asking your team that you lead for input and perspective? If you won't get input from them, why would anyone else get input from them? And so often we say, no, I'll go talk to them. But we actually won't ask for their input into our lives. This idea that elders or leaders need to come to me per, for perspective, but I only go to the NCMI team or to other lead guys. And I know that there's some things that, you know, some team dynamics that, that is, there's, there's wisdom in that. But for life things, for decisions, this idea that they have to come to me, but I, I actually don't go to them. It's not reciprocated. I, I just go to somebody else. Is hierarchy. And we're not here, here to build hierarchical towers that we sit at the top. And we say, throw your questions from the bottom, but I'm going to stay separate. We're actually here to tear that stuff down and release a kingdom of priests to minister and make disciples. So if we're genuinely the team that leads the church, then we need to seek out each other's perspective. All right, back to everyone. Is that all right? If you're not a team leader, take a deep breath. I'm glad I, I, I learned this truth early on in my life because it set us up for a lifetime of growth and impact. And God keeps having to remind us of it. And our team has to keep reminding us of it at times. And when we build this way, and it's a culture that we go, actually, together we're seeking input and we're giving permission to call each other up to more, then when Paul or when Dave or Mark or Gabby or Louise or, or Leanna or Olaf or anyone else on our team comes and goes, you know what, actually, can we have a chat? Can we have a coffee? There's just this thing that, like, that is unhelpful. Nobody wants to hear that, but, I, but we welcome it because otherwise, how do we grow and how do we mature and how do we get rid of that stuff so that we can help other people grow and mature? What I see too often in churches is people who want impact and they want to minister to others and they want profile or leadership or platform, 
but they're not disciples themselves. They're not seeking input. They're not being disciple. They're not walking humbly. They're not willing to serve. They want a mic to shout at people, but they're not willing to receive input themselves. And somebody said, if you need to minister, your ministry is not needed. And I love that. Leanna, would you come up? Can we welcome Leanna this morning? So Jesus gives us an account of a similar truth in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 to 10. Because I've been speaking for 18 minutes so so far. I think it would be great for Leanna to read this passage so that you have a little bit of a different voice to hear. I'll find it for you. Thank you. Luke chapter 7. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, so from verse 1 to 10. Awesome. So it says, Jesus heals a centurion servant. After he had finished saying all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they'd come to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but just say the word and let my servant be healed." He says, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Thank you, Leanna. Can we thank Leanna? It's cool to be able to get other people involved. It's a total side note. It has not a lot to do with this, but whenever you can involve somebody, involve them. It's a good dis- discipleship point. Um, Leanne is a better preacher than I am, to be honest, so this is not discipling her and giving her opportunity. It's just getting somebody else involved. This, this is not just a passage about healing. It's a powerful passage about the kingdom. To have authority, I need to be under authority. To make disciples, I have to be a disciple. See, remember that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. And a lot of what we're told about leading churches and having impact is, you know, can be true, but a lot of it is actually just worldly wisdom. And the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. In the world, my impact or my success is often linked to my skills and my ability. It's often the byproduct of how much I can sell myself and sell my ability to others. And we see that in the kingdom. Sorry, we see that in the church. People bring a world idea, and so they try and sell themselves. And as Paul said, they come with their letters of recommendation, and, you know, and this is what I've done, and this is who I am. But in the kingdom, it's different. With that worldly thought, there can be a real arrogance that comes with that. I'm the leader. But the kingdom isn't like that. In the kingdom, my impact and my success comes from abiding in Christ 
and being knit into the vine. The starting point of our success, the starting point of making disciples, the starting point of following Jesus actually is to be with him, to be knit into the vine, to abide with him, to be in his presence. It comes from being under authority. It comes from humility. It's the total opposite of the business world or the world around us that says sell yourself, create a profile, create a platform, create a social media brand that people will buy into. How many followers do you have? Kingdom's not like that. comes through humility, comes through service, comes from being connected to and playing my part in the body. Because when I'm disconnected from the body, I become a dead, useless limb. My impact and my success in the kingdom is always tied into the health and the success of those he's added me to. Like Paul was preaching, the, 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 the people around us are, the letter, are our letters of recommendation. My impact and my success is not about how much I can tell you that I'm successful. It's about how much the people around me are successful. And success is not having big ministries necessarily. Success is having intimacy with Jesus and being knit into the vine. Success is walking in his presence. Success is being a disciple who makes disciples. It looks very different than the world's model. In 2 Chronicles 10, we see the account of somebody named Rehoboam, Solomon's son. Now, Rehoboam was about to be made king after Solomon's death. But before he was made king, he sought the counsel, it says, of the old men. I don't know how old they were, but it just says the old men. And the old men told him this, lighten the load on the people and be kind to them and they will follow you. Verse 8 says this, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and he he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him. And the young men said, make it harder for the people. Ultimately, Rehoboam abandoned the counsel of the old men, and he listened to the counsel of the young men, and the people ended up rebelling against him. Now, this isn't necessarily a comment on age, although it is, there is wisdom in asking the input of those who have done it before and gone before you. But this isn't necessarily a comment on age, it's more that he heard what the old men had to say, but he had already set his heart on being a hard ruler. He, he, he had already decided on what he was going to do, so he went to look for the advice that he wanted to hear. He went to the young men, not because they were young, because he knew that they would tell him what he had already set in his heart. So often we keep asking until we get the advice that we want. Being a disciple is not just asking so that we get told what we want to hear. It's asking questions that will challenge us to grow and become more like Jesus. We go to the people that we know will tell us what we want to hear. We go to a certain culture or a certain age group or a certain leader because we know that they'll agree with us. Paul writes the same thing in 2 Timothy 3, verse 4. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves or search for teachers who suit their own passions. When we do this, it stops us from being disciples. When we do this, 
It stops us from building together. It actually causes us to isolate, and we begin to lose impact. It's one of the things that when we search out those who agree or those who will tell us what we want to hear, it stops us from being disciples. And when we're not disciples, it stops us from making disciples. If you recognize that in your life, repent. I'm not saying go ask a hundred people, everybody in this room, what they think on every issue. But get input. Get perspective. And get perspective from people that are different than you. That have different cultural background. That are a different age than you. There's two other things that stop us from becoming disciples. Those things are pride and offense. See, looking for those who will confirm what I've already set my heart on is born out of either pride or offense. I don't think we do it just for fun. See, when we let pride or offense enter our hearts, we stop seeking input. We begin to close off. We close our hearts to the wise counsel of God, God's people that he's placed around us. We begin to look for what we want to hear because either we're, we're, we're prideful and we think we know it, or we're offended and we don't want to hear it anymore. Again, for those who are, have been in the church for a little while or have been leaders for a little while, offense can come in. You will have opportunity to be offended. We close our hearts off. Matthew 28, verse 16, it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee because Judas wasn't a disciple anymore. Why? Because he'd let pride and offense enter his heart. And although he was with Jesus himself, he ended up leaving him and betraying him. This whole thing, they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. He gives them the great commission, the great commandment. It was only given to 11. I firmly believe that it was meant to be given to 12, although somebody had to betray Jesus. Judas was there. But he let pride and offense enter his heart. Pride says this, I already know it all, so why would I be a disciple? Why would I ask for input? I don't need your input. It, it's usually not that blatant. It's very rare in church culture, at least, because we've learned to mask it. Nobody just goes, I don't need to hear from you. My, my kids say that. They haven't learned to mask it yet. <laughs> I don't agree with you, Dad. I'm like, I don't care. I'm the dad. And I love you, and I want what's best for you. But we learn to mask it in church culture. It's, it's, it's more often something like this. That's good for somebody else, but not for me. Oh, man, I really wish that, uh, really wish Darren was here today. If he had heard that, oh, it would just transform his life. And God's going, wake up. <laughs> I'm speaking to you. That truth is good for somebody else to respond to. I'll go tell them about it. I'm going to share the podcast with them because I trying to speak to us. I'm not going to do it myself. That's pride. We hear the truth, but we reject it because it doesn't fit with what I already believe. Maybe what you believe is wrong. 
And God's trying to adjust your paradigm and adjust your perspective because he wants to do something greater. And he wants to bring increase and he wants to give you greater impact. You go, nah, forget it. That doesn't fit with what I already believe. And God's going, yeah, but we see in part and we know in part and I'm wanting to enlarge. Rather than letting the truth transform us and our belief, we reject it. And that's pride. Men in the room. We need to be asking our wives for their perspective. We need to be asking the women on our team and in our churches for their perspective. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. Because they can and should minister powerfully. The priesthood of all believers is not just the men thing. It's the whole priesthood. So we need to be asking for their perspective. They have a perspective that needs to be heard and listened to and honored if we're going to reach everyone that God's called us to reach and we're going to be the people that God's called us to be. Sisters in the room. Can I get an amen from the sisters in the room? I want to say this to you this morning. You are needed and your gifting and your perspective is needed. You can clap for that because that is true. We need to be getting input and perspective from those who are younger than us and those who are older than us because, can I tell you, they have a different perspective. They have a different lens that they see through. We need to be getting input and perspective from the different cultures in our church, otherwise there will be no different cultures in our church. We live in one of the most multicultural areas of Australia, uh, the suburb next to us. Um, over 52% of people don't speak English at home. Over 70% were born outside of Australia. And unfortunately, our church is way too white to be living next to a suburb like that. Can I just be honest? We have something like, like 23 nationalities in the church, but all, almost all of those nationalities are white. And so we need to get the, the perspective and the input of people who look different than us. Otherwise, there's never going to be anybody who looks different than us in our church. Secondly, we allow offense to take root in our heart and bitterness begins to rise up. If we do that, even when we hear the truth, we respond through the lens of our offense and our bitterness. See, rather than seeing Jesus and worshiping him, when we're offended, we end up sitting in our bitterness, we end up sitting in our judgment, and we react in bitterness. Oh, God, let that never be our heart, that we see Jesus, but our response is bitterness. In the kingdom, it's when I humble myself that God's able to use me. You guys know James 4, verse 6, God opposes or resists the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. In the kingdom, it's submission and service that releases me for impact, not submission to hierarchy. Please don't hear what I'm not preaching this morning. I'm not preaching a preacher that says, okay, now you go and tell everybody that now you're my disciple and you have to submit to me. That's not what I'm preaching. What I'm preaching is you need to be discipled. It's not submission to hierarchy. It's, it's submission to the lordship of Jesus, to his presence, to those who God's called to give an account 
for me and to those who God's added me to in fellowship. See, Elisha wanted Elijah's mantle. He actually wanted a double portion of what was on Elijah. But he served Elijah while he was waiting and, and God was preparing that mantle. He did the mundane. Now, it's not for me to say, you have to serve me in the waiting. It's, the heart is, I'm going to serve until God opens the door. We need to shift it around, leaders in the room today. In the kingdom, it's servant leadership. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 26, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. In the kingdom, submission, humility, and service open the doors for impact. Matthew 23, verse 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles, humbles himself will be exalted. Humility and, 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 and submission not only release the grace of God in our lives, but they allow God himself to exalt us. And I don't know about you, but I would, be, I would much rather be exalted by God himself than exalted by men or exalted on social media. So what's the point I'm trying to make? I'm closing. We're called to be a people who make disciples. Not just to talk about it, not just to go, that's a great idea, to actually be disciples who make disciples, who see people becoming more like Jesus, coming to freedom, being set free from demonic oppression, being healed and transformed and equipped and empowered to minister themselves. But to make disciples, I have to be a disciple. To make disciples, you have to be a disciple. We don't want to just be churches who make disciples. We want to be churches of disciples. Churches of people who are becoming more like Jesus. Who are sitting in his presence. Who are asking for input. Who are inviting it into our lives. To have impact, you have to be proactive in your spiritual growth. You have to be proactive in pursuing Jesus. I can't pursue Jesus for you. It's the biggest frustration of leading a church. I wish I could pursue Jesus for you. But, like, but we can't. And so we preach our heart out and we worship and we sit in his presence and we create atmospheres and we create opportunities. But I can't worship Jesus for you. You have to be proactive in your spiritual growth. Because being a disciple always comes from a place of encounter. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. And for some this morning, you need to get back to seeing Jesus. Not just seeing the church or the problems or the people. Because when you see Jesus, it transforms your heart. It transforms your language. It transforms the way you interact. It transforms the way you preach. It transforms your worship. Seek out the place of encounter. Seek out discipleship. There's a young man who asked me maybe over, over a year ago, can I, can I Zoom with you once a month? What a privilege to have somebody Zoom. And I don't take it lightly because it's like we Zoom once a month. He lives in a different place. It's people in our church that say, can I, can I have a coffee with you every fortnight? Can we get together? That's, the, that's such a joy as a leader, it's such a joy when people say, I want to grow. I, I, I want to ask you questions. I want you to speak into my life. I want to get your perspective. I want to I, I pursue Jesus with you. So my encouragement for you is don't wait back 
And uh, don't sit back and wait for somebody to approach you. Seek out discipleship and input. Discipleship and input is invited, not imposed, just as authority in the church is invited and not imposed. If you're waiting for somebody to impose discipleship on you, and I can say at least in Melbourne Light Church, it's never going to happen. Because it's invited, not imposed. And then listen to it and put it into practice. The amount that you're willing to humble yourself and seek input is the amount to which God will release you to continue and continue to release you. And this is not just for young people in the room. This is for people that are leading teams. This is for people on the team. This is for me. This is for those who are in their 70s. As we do this, our prayer is that the word of God will continue to increase and the number of disciples multiply greatly. Would you stand with me this morning? Faye, could you come and uh, work your magic on the amazing keyboard over there? And we can try and be subtle about it, but you guys all know that she's coming up. So we try and do like the look over there, and then, oh, the keys are playing. <laughs> Glory. My challenge for you today is this. Who is discipling you, and who are you discipling? Who is investing into you so that you become more like Jesus? And who are you investing into so that they become more like Jesus? Can I be so bold as to say this? I felt this as I, as I was praying this morning. I believe there's some elders and leaders in the room. And others, but specifically I felt God highlight this. And if you're honest, you've stopped seeking input. You've stopped being a disciple. And God wants to minister to you this morning. It's a simple heart change. God, I repent. Lord, set me free from that pride or that offense or that bitterness to trust people again. If you've allowed pride or offense into your heart, anyone in the room today, or even to be honest, just seeking out what you want to hear, you respond to Jesus this morning. Repent. Ask him to set you free. Jesus wants to heal. He wants to soften hearts. I want to end with this quote from A.W. Tozer. I'll give it back to Darren and he can pray or we can worship or respond. But A.W. Tozer says this. I'm talking of discipleship. I'm looking for the fellowship of the burning heart. For men and women of all generations everywhere who love the Savior until adoration becomes the music of their soul. Until they don't have to be fooled with and entertained and amused. Jesus Christ is everything, all in all. This is the cry of our hearts. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord.
Let us be disciples who make disciples. That we can truly say, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And let freedom come in this place this morning. In Jesus' name.